I got love for you, man. You know what, I'm <laughs> what are we talking about? You know, I'm not here to start any trouble. I'm only going to say nice things about you from now on. I think you're handsome, and I think you're a wonderful host. I'm fat and I'm overweight. Just don't say anything silly. I was waiting for you to say that. I'm not laughing about it. You think this is funny? I take this serious. You know, I don't want y'all to take anything that out of context that I'm saying. He's very funny. He likes to joke around a lot. As a personality and as an entertainer, yes. This is going to be really quick. I'm not taking any questions. Go ahead and get comfortable. I'm going to talk for a little bit. You're listening to Cabby Presents, the podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for the click or the subscription or the download. I'm your host, Cabby Richards. If you're discovering these conversations for the first time, you can check out my immature posts on Instagram and Twitter. It's at the real Cabby, C-A-B-B-I-E. A lot of food pics, movie reviews, links to bloopers, and the occasional thank you. I ask that you give me a four-week trial. But I'm sure you'll get sick of it before then. As it's been in, uh, since its inception, this is a pop culture podcast. Sports meets music, meets fashion, meets entertainment, meets fun. It's all in here. If you're unfamiliar with my guest, you won't be for very much longer. For many, this will be the first time you experience him, and it will not be the last. As Biggie Smalls once said, blowing up like you thought I would, call the crib, same number, same hood. This dude is all good. A friend of mine who's a DJ slash producer born in Toronto and now dominates the airwaves in Atlanta joins me in the studio right now. If it's going to be uh, an interview, I'm going to conduct it. So I'll answer my own questions, ask myself the questions, then give y'all the answers. When I first became aware of this man, it was on the party scene in Toronto at nightclubs, etc. Toronto's home to some of the world's best DJs. But this dude made a name for himself. I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know his, his ethnicity. I just heard his name, Baby U. He became one of those DJs where people would go to hear him spin, go to experience him regardless of the venue. His talent was undeniable, and his good looks didn't hurt his growth either. Always fashionable, always photogenic. I used to bug Baby U for his mixtapes, which back then were on CDs in the 2000s. I remember fondly a Kanye West mixtape that I, I think I, lo- I lent somebody, and then I had to go ask him for another one. In one of our text message exchanges years ago, he told me that he was moving to Atlanta in 2008. And I had returned from Atlanta on two separate trips, not really feeling the city. I went in 2007 for the NCAA men's basketball final, and I watched my The Ohio State Buckeyes, the Greg Oden Ohio State Buckeyes, lose to Joe Kim Noah and his back-to-back championship Florida Gator team. And then I went in 2008 to the NHL All-Star Weekend. And we were in Buckhead, and I just, I don't know, something about it, I just wasn't feeling it. Atlanta, to me, at the time, was one of those cities with a huge reputation as a party town. 
It just never delivered. But for Baby U, the move paid off in a massive way. Currently, he's laying down beats for two coveted radio shows in Atlanta on V103 FM. The Ryan Cameron Show in the morning and the Big Tigger Show in the afternoon. A couple of gigs here in Toronto provided an opportunity for this conversation. And I'm happy and pleased to be joined in studio with DJ Baby U. Welcome to Cabby Presents. Yes, Cabby. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. My pleasure. Hey, so uh, what did you do last night? Oh, I DJed at this place, spot called uh, Vogue Supper Club. And it was this uh, party by Roundtable. And they do this kind of uh, theme party called 2000 Till, where all the music is from the, like, 2000 and on oh only. that's pretty cool but they're they're very strict because if you hit a song that's from 1999 right that was recorded or released in december of 1999 they're gonna call you out on it <laughs> <laughs> like it's that's it's crazy so you couldn't play like like remember when and I, I don't even know if you and I had this conversation. I feel like we did. But remember when Diddy came out with that album, like, We Invented the Remix? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was like, you can't play. So you can't play Total. Nothing. You couldn't play G-Dep. Nope. You couldn't play, like, <laughs> Ma you couldn't play Maze. Zero. Because um, I was researching before I came on, and it's like, I was surprised with all the tracks that were like, all the good stuff was in the 90s. Yeah, like, the late 90s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's crazy. So like, did you have to start with, like, Nelly? Like EI or or hot in here. I had that on my list. Or ja, you do you had to play Ja Rule last night, didn't you? I did play Ja Rule, and people actually liked it because you know it's kind of like old school to them. I guess the crowd that comes to that party. So, yeah. but it, I still had fun. It was a difficult party to play for because I was constantly thinking, okay. uh... I hope it's not 1999. <laughs> I had to make sure I was ready for that. So, it was tough, but it's fun. On Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can find them at DJ Baby U. That's DJ B-A-B-Y-Y-U. He's, he's got a pretty dope <laughs> website also, which I was creeping on, and we'll get to my crush with Sierra in a second. <laughs> so when you're a DJ, how do you judge a good night? How do I judge a good night? Yeah, what, what is a good night to you as the, the curator of, you know, hundreds or thousands of people's experience going out? I think... No matter what kind of race or age group, it's just as long as the people are there to just have fun. Like, there's some times when I go to clubs, they're just there to just pose and and not really trying to dance or anything. Like, I love that crowd where they want to sing to the, the songs that I play and, like, you know, just want to wild out. You know what I mean? Just have a good time because some people just go in with a negative attitude. Like, right. what do you expect? I'm, I'm trying to give you that positive vibe, but it's sometimes too hard for me even. So um, I think when you have that open mind and, and you come in ready to party, that's the crowd that I love. But how do you – But okay, but then how do you the next day – process a good night like is it like is it like nobody do you, do you judge a good night by like nobody came to the booth to bug you to play their song <laughs> or the whole or most of the night you just saw either like hands waving or just saw bodies just moving i think it it's hard to explain like djs know what i'm talking about but it's like you feel it during the whole entire night like i don't have to be at the end of the night oh that was a good night like you you know oh this this is a good really well, what good is night. it what does it look like what does that feel like it's i don't know man you just feel <laughs> goosebumps man like when you play certain songs and you just feel that goosebumps because people are going crazy over certain things the way you put songs together um and and 
at, at the end of the day, like anybody could just play any song, but it's all about programming and what song comes after the next one, right? And how you build the night, and when everything goes right, you feel it during the night, and it's like that's when I know it's okay. It was a good night. I've heard, I've heard either, I've heard this about Wayne Gretzky, and I've heard this about Michael Jordan. They're always thinking two plays ahead. So yes. when you are, when you are, you know, at your turntables or at your 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 laptop. Are you also thinking, okay, not just the next song, but like a series of songs, maybe it's three <laughs> or four that you can play in succession? That's crazy that you bring that up because most times when people come to me while I'm DJing, I can't even think like, because I'm thinking four or five songs ahead like Wayne Gretzky is with like all his plays. It's like all, all, all of us as DJs, we're thinking about which direction we're trying to take. Well, most good DJs, if you've been experienced enough to be at that point, but it's like... You think about which direction you want to go, and then you see, and as if you're a good DJ, and one song doesn't work, you have to be ready to go another way. So, but that, and that's only that is that solely based on the crowd's reaction yes, to it. Yes. Now, how? Okay, this, okay. Two <laughs> two questions about, and now this is like I am insanely jealous of your talent. Okay, and <laughs> I, I and I'm it's, in, I'm even more jealous of your stature. But more actually, no, I should say talent first, stature second. And being a D, how hot do the girl, the females need to be in order to stand behind you <laughs> in the DJ booth? Because every time I look over and about, there are always girls in the DJ booth. So oh, uh, do they have to be eights? Do they have to be nines? What is, what is the standard for you, man? Man, I don't discriminate, man. What, yeah, well, come on. <laughs> Honestly, if you if there's a girl in there looking like me, you'd be like, listen, okay, what, what song do you want? And you got to keep it moving. Oh, man. Well, um, you know, like I said, I don't discriminate. But okay. at the end of the day, though, it's like, it's funny because with me, I don't drink or anything. Right. So I'm really like a nerd when it comes to DJing. I don't really have anybody in the booth. It's like oh, so okay, corny. Okay. It's so corny. No, that's like, not corny. Come, You're there to work. Yeah. And that's how I look at it. But a lot of people don't look at it. Like people, you know, other DJs that I know, they have like two bottles in the booth. They have like 10 girls in the booth. Like <laughs> I don't, I can't even... I couldn't even like work around right. it. Like, imagine you doing your TV show, and it's like there's like ten girls behind you. Trying oh to no, dude, I would love that. I would love <laughs> that. Yeah, especially when you're like uh, interviewing Kobe or something. You have ten <laughs> girls behind you. <laughs> I, I don't know if Kobe would like it so much, but I would. I would certainly. Uh, I would certainly enjoy oh, that. Man. And and I've asked this question too. Uh, yeah. I've had um, uh, Tom Rex or D, um, uh, T Rex yeah, in, yeah. in in here, and I asked him this question. Uh, and so I'm going to ask it to you as well. Who do you think gets more play from women, the DJ or the personal trainer? Both are, to me, very attractive to girls because the DJ has all the power <laughs> for the night, all the power. And the personal trainer, it's just that one-on-one. -on -one and okay. he's, he or she is generally I'm going to say he is generally pretty sculpted. Right, and, right. And you're, you're there body to body. I would say... I mean, both would, you know, they have their strengths, but um, I think the trainer has an advantage over us because we actually, as a DJ, have to kind of work. They, we have to kind of, like, s socialize. Because at the end of the day, when I go to work, I go in, play my music, but sometimes I don't talk to nobody and just walk out and there's So nothing. you don't social. You don't have to socialize. I don't have to socialize, yeah. but they have to and when you have that one-on-one -on -one trying to hold them like you know what i mean like here you got to squat lower and you're kind of right. touching their thighs a little bit yeah and things you know spark up right so just pheromones just start to just <laughs> explode i think they got the upper hand man unfortunately 
That's what T Rex said too. He said, and you know, <laughs> See, and, he and, you know he, and he said he the, the interesting thing that he said was, you know, there there's like. You might see like that really hot girl at like eleven o'clock right. or like twelve, yeah. but by two she could be a real hot mess. <laughs> so whereas she was dope when she was sober or just had a little buzz, by the end of it when she's sweaty <laughs> and she's had too many drinks, it just it all falls apart. Oh man, like I eyelashes coming off. Right. And yes, and, and like and like the thing that that gets me, not that I'm ever in in the mix for really hot girls at mm -hmm. clubs like my my range i'm like uh, like four to six out of ten that's like that's my <laughs> sweet spot so uh, it's a, i'm the thing that i i don't like but you know i'm not gonna turn them away or yeah, yeah. is when girls take their shoes off oh, oh whether whether it's inside a spot or like outside walking on the dirty streets of name your city in on planet earth no streets are clean uh, oh, it just they take the shoes off. No, that's serious, man. Because I know people. I see it all the time inside the club, and even oh, like you know, at the end, I understand. Like it's tough wearing those heels. Yeah, they, their feet are in pain. Yeah, we get it. And when I see them outside walking to the inside the parking deck and all that with bare feet, oh man, hey, that's just like. Like that's gonna take days to wash off. Oh, because you know all so kinds of there's grime. There could be glass. There's just there's just a lot of just like f like just gross. Yeah, just scrub when like, you get and, home. And, and like it's it's like there's wet toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> it's like moist moist flyers and oh, just like man. the napkins that just that just get uh, stepped on by like a hundred thousand people. Yeah, just you gotta read about hepatitis and all right. that. It's all over the place. Right. <laughs> so has okay, has this ever happened to you? Just I just saw this like uh, I saw this over the weekend. Calvin yeah. Harris, I think he was spinning at Live. Uh huh. Calvin Harris, as, as you guys know, is, is a super famous producer. Mm -hmm. Producer and feels so close to you right now. Dun, dun. Yep. That was that's one of his songs. Um, he a, a, a girl at the club while he was DJing called him a sellout. And, and told him, yelled at him to play some different songs because he was playing a lot of his own catalog. Mm. So Calvin Harris stopped the jam, mm -hmm. grabbed the microphone and started to address this one particular girl, like shut down the jam, lights up. And he said, he said, why the, why the F would you come to a Calvin Harris show and not expect to hear Calvin Harris songs, you dumb F and B? Get out. And then he had her removed from the club. Has that, has it happened to you where you have been so frustrated with people coming to talk to you that you've wanted to do, to do that? Or have you actually exchanged words <laughs> with, with uh, somebody at the club because of their behavior? I mean, we have interesting people like, like patrons like her come up to us and, it, and we do get frustrated. But, you know, I understand Calvin Harris's frustration because he's right. Like you, co it's like you go to Beyonce concert and you, yo, play, sing something original. Like, yeah, what play you, some Rihanna. What's, or, what's, yeah. what's wrong with you, right? At the end of the day, but you know, at the end of the day, though, like you know, you gotta stay professional, no matter how much these people get to you. And I get it, like how he felt, but I don't think he he should have done it at the end of the day. But um, you know, I've been through it, like people. Like there's points I, I was about to give my headphones to people. Like, okay, <laughs> you want to do my job here? Right, go, just right. go. And I know actually DJs that done that. That people come up to them and be like, "Yo, um, like," but p clueless people though. They're like, "Oh, can you play this and this and this?" Which was maybe played like ten minutes ago. Like, uh, do you think you think you play this? I'm like, "Okay, you want to do here? Take my headphones." And he just walked off and went to the bar. Come and she, on. She's standing there on stage, uh, inside the booth by herself. 
trying to figure out what to do now. Like, and everyone's just watching because he was just like, you know what? I can't take this. No, I'm going to wow. market and drink. <laughs> but wow. like, I feel all the DJs pay, man. We go through it a lot. And um, but at the end of the day, Calum Harris, man, it's like um, I didn't think it was the most. I think it was his tipping point. Like he was really, really like out there. To do maybe, maybe it's because she called him a sellout. Maybe because like his his music is played on like. On, on commercial campaigns I think Levi like you know he's he's a massive DJ and that happens to a lot of DJs their songs get so big that you know brands and companies want to align yeah. themselves with them because the, the song is like really hot right now like you know Bauer had the I mean he had a whole movement on YouTube right. for like two weeks right right with the um, uh, Harlem Shake, the Harlem Shake yeah. videos um, but um, you can only stay underground so long like i mean if if your stuff is that good it, people are just gonna lo love it and it and if more people love it the more commercial it gets what can you do like hey can you can you describe or the different types of djs because you're you're a dj and a producer yeah because you you create music right, right right you don't just like spin at events and parties yeah but then you also you're on you you're a tour dj as well so you are laying down the soundtrack for an artist's performance right. for thousands of people so yeah. but so so and, and those are the things that you embody but what are the different types of djs uh initially there were two types there were the club djs and there were the uh turntables djs okay and it was two different worlds especially when i was growing up nobody if you were with one uh you usually didn't kind of mesh with both but now the whole scene changed where the turntablism uh, all the guys that were into that, they actually became club DJs now, like guys like A-Track, um, guys like Junior Flow, right. uh, Keys and Crates, right? Um, and, you know, like Scratch Bastard to Grand Theft, all those guys that are doing well from Canada and whatnot, they were original turntable as DJs, and and now they're in the club scene, so now it's like, it's like, it's crazy to see all that. And so those were the two and And by a, by a turntable, as you mean, Someone that used vinyl records and someone that was big on scratching yeah. and almost like a almost like performance art. Right. It's it's like um, doing all those tricks like behind your back and like it's all performance art and competitions. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's more. It was like underground based in a sense, if you were to compare it and commercial for us club DJs because we're all over the place doing. So and then so it's by comparison, a club DJ was either playing a lot of music from a certain genre or playing the hits and, right. and and moving it was it was less the performance of the dj and more about the is is this fair to say more about the the songs that they would put yeah. out is yeah. that fair to say yeah that's that's kind of the main i think difference and and for club djs the one of the big things to understand is that to be a good club dj you have to understand programming programming like i used to dj at nights from 10 to 3 like every Friday, Saturday, by myself. And if you don't understand how to do that, um, you're not really a good club DJ because anybody can come in and play for an hour and play all the hot hits. Anybody could do that. Right. You could do that. I could teach you in five minutes how to <laughs> do that. I would love that. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you understand how to program, how important it is to how um, when people are coming in, getting their drinks the first two hours and trying to get them warmed up with, like, older hits and then hit them with all the bangers from 12 to 2 or whatever and then slow them down from 2 to 3, that's how you keep everybody there from 10 to 3 and club owners and everybody will love you for that even patrons because you know they they came to have fun not to go for 30 minutes you know what i mean so okay so those are so the turntablists and the club dj 
Um, so that the, you know, those you said those are like the original two sort yeah. of factions, and then you said it changed. Now it changed. Now it's like I think the history with the whole EDM scene too, like. All these DJs, most of them were technically like producers first, from what I heard and what I'm and how I learned the the whole EDM scene. And so EDM is yeah, uh, electronic dance music. Yeah, and so um, when their songs popped, it's like they were kind of forced to DJ, so uh. they had to get out there and perform in a sense, right? So that's a whole nother level: the producer first and then DJing after, and. Um, so that's what I learned with the whole EDMC, which is cool too. Like at the end of the day. So, but you, as far as your own start, you were a DJ first, then you became a producer. Yeah. 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 So it kind of went, but there's most times though, guys like um, I'm gonna name guys like uh, Little John, Jermaine Dupri, Swiss Beats. All those guys were DJs first. Uh, Just Blaze. Just Blaze. They're all DJs first, and that's why they're DJing again right now. Right. Because the whole scene got bigger and they're just kind of, yo, I was a DJ before this. But a lot of people don't know. It's like, oh, why are these producers DJing? I'm like, they started DJing. Right. The, you look at all the videos from the 90s. Little John's in the videos DJing. Really? Jermaine Dupree, before Crisscross, he was DJing. Like, these guys were DJs before anything. That's why they're back into it. And it's it's a good thing. Like, I love it, though. How did you become the remix kid? Is That's that so weird. Like, it's just it just came to me because... When I first started DJing, it wasn't like I wanted to be like him or I want. I just started on my own. Like I saw my friends DJ. I'm like, oh, that's a cool thing. I I collect music, so I'm just gonna start. And and when I started, I'm like, it's kind of boring just to play the songs that I already hear on the radio or mixtapes. So I'm like, so let me just flip it up. Let me just play this vocal with this instrumental. See how it sounds. And ever since I started DJing, that stuck on to me. And it's something that I love doing, and I kind of, I guess, naturally became my signature as a DJ, I guess. How did you, how did the gig in Atlanta uh, come to be? Because I, I just, I remember complaining about Buckhead. I'm like, Buckhead, <laughs> you know, I guess in the early 2000s, that area of Atlanta used to pop, like Buckhead, like, yeah, yeah. you know, Ludacris was rhyming about it, and... Um, geez, I can't. I can't think of anybody else. Ludacris was like probably the most, the biggest commercial artist in that time, the early two thousands, right. from Atlanta. And you saw, you know, Buckhead with you know Little John, and <clears throat> so, and then you know there was like Usher, and but like so, so a kid from Toronto, and and it's great. I guess in a macro sense, it's amazing that there's so much Canadian talent that's exploding. Growing and then exploding in the United States, which is a weird thing being Canadian because um, that's almost how we validate our stars. And it's really bizarre that we do that. We have this this inferiority complex to our, our neighbors to the south. But anyway, how did the gig, uh, you being a, a, a DJ that, that toured a, a bunch in, in throughout Canada, then become a resident DJ for a night spot in Atlanta? It was a combination of a lot of things. Um, do you remember Jin the MC? Yes, who, of course. Who won all the battles on BET 106 uh, and Park. Yeah, there's so, Freestyle Fridays. Right, so I was DJing for him. Oh, okay. Um, certain spots in the U.S. and across Canada and whatnot. And so he was obviously big in the Asian community, whatever. So he was doing any city in the U.S. as well. Um, he was doing all those clubs. And especially in Atlanta, the, the promoter that was out there that knew him found out about me through that. And then not only that, I was doing XM radio, like the first, you know, one of the, I, I don't know if anybody else was on XM, but I think I was the only Canadian that was on there hip hop wise. So I was doing that. And then I think 
with all that combined, it just kind of um, got me to Atlanta with the, that promoter. And I would go out there maybe um, four times a year. And I'm like, one of the years that I went after New Year's, uh, my management came with me for the first time. And they had a great time. And, and I remember him. He, <laughs> he was so drunk. He came up to the booth. He's like, yo, um, what do you think about moving here? <laughs> and, and I started laughing because for some reason, right before he asked me that question, I was thinking about it in my head. I'm like, I wonder how I'll do if I moved here. And then um, four months later, five months later, I moved. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And yeah. I and I, I remember, I think the next time I went to Atlanta in like 2009 or 2010 or something, I hit you up about spots and you were, you were on tour somewhere on planet Earth. Um, so you weren't there, so I didn't have like my oh, right. yeah, my, yeah, my my dude. Like it's <laughs> it's always great when you go to a city, you know somebody there. Yeah, you have someone exactly. with the feet on the ground, so you can get have a have a better uh, uh, experience. Uh, I'm in studio with uh, DJ Baby U, um, who's also known as the Remix Kid, who's just who's holding down Atlanta. It's so weird to have like a Canadian dude, a kid from Toronto, just holding down these two this this one radio station. By holding down, I mean. Um, being a big uh, source of input and output, um, being the DJ for these two big shows. You guys know in radio, the morning show and the afternoon drive shows, are, those are like the flagship shows for any radio station. And you are contributing to both, you know, um, laying down uh, beats and, and, you know, yeah. and, and music and whatever. <laughs> Did, now, you said you were doing something with, at Sirius, or sorry, at XM Radio, yeah. which didn't, from what I understand, didn't have as many didn't have the same restrictions as commercial radio does. Yeah. So do you find, like, do you go, do you, does your brain go numb when you have to, like, you guys have to hit a certain six or eight songs, you have to play a lot, right? Because those are the hot songs of the day. Oh, uh -huh, yeah. Well, so how do you, <laughs> I think like, I got, <laughs> I was used to that? it. I was used to being in Canadian radio because, oh, right. you know, we have that 40% rule where we have to play 40% Canadian. It's like 40%, right, yeah, per can, hour? Can, 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 yeah, can-con, rule. And so I was kind of used to, you know, having restrictions and whatnot. But luckily, XM was pretty open, and they let me do whatever I wanted. And even with V103 now, it's like I remember the first time I got hired. When I got hired, I, I told my boss, Reggie Rouse, I'm like, honestly... If you're gonna restrict, if you don't let me do what I do, there's no point in me being here. And he just looked at me. He's like, "No, you're right. Like, I, I have you here for what you do. Just go. Just do whatever you want." And I'm really grateful for him to let me do that because it's 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 crazy because we're one of the top five stations in the United States. Oh, when it, are, oh when, my when, gosh. It, when it comes to ratings, oh, well, that's huge. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's I huge. mean, like, there's there's like other big hip hop stations across the U.S. that might be more famous than us in a sense yeah, yeah. but like rating wise we're like top five so it's like um for him to give me that leeway like i'm grateful because that like you don't understand sometimes i'm mixing like miley cyrus carly ray jepson bieber with like you know travis porter and dr oh, wow. dre like all together and you know that's one that was one of my missions though when i came to atlanta because when i first moved there i was like i couldn't believe how segregated the music scene was like if you're hip-hop that's it if you're in the top 40 scene that was it if you're in the caribbean scene that was it nobody no djs kind of went around like, oh as far as playing the, the kind of venues yeah, or events you could play it, it, oh, it was I so see. different and for us it was for me it was so different because as a canadian we do everything everything yeah and so i think that's one of the things that got me 
to uh, better places quicker because I was so versatile and I was able to do so many different kind of parties at once in Atlanta. And that helped me, I think, get get at the station as well with Reggie because um, I was able to play all these different types of genres. So. I like it. I like your, your boss name, Reggie Ross. Reggie Rouse. Rouse. He's a man, man. He's, he's, he's <laughs> known. That guy is known in the radio industry, so. Hey, so last night I'm reading uh, this guy named Chuck Closerman, who's like my favorite, um, my favorite writer. He's like a pop culture guy. Okay. And he's he's probably got I don't know like eight or ten books. So I'm just like reading some stuff just to like like oh maybe this, maybe he he writes these essays. He used to write. How I discovered him was in Esquire. He would write a monthly essay about whatever he wanted. It was something in the realm of pop culture. He had some relationship stuff too, but he's just a really smart dude. He um sometime. Sometimes he writes for Grantland, and I believe he used to write for Spin Magazine before Esquire, but I discovered right. him in Esquire. Okay. So I'm reading this, um, I'm reading uh, an essay about uh, technology and how like it's, out of con- it's gone out of control. We can't really control it. So, and, and I see you have the same phone that I do. We both have the Samsung or whatever. <laughs> when, and we've become slaves to our devices, uh-huh. whether it's our phones or our laptops, and you being... A DJ, are you are you a, are a bigger slave to your phone or your laptop or your or your iPad or whatever you have? Oh man! Like, what are you on more often? I would probably say it's a close tie because I'm on my phone's with me like constantly, but when I'm working, like you know, the laptop, it's always the laptop or my desktop computer with music. So I think it's a close tie. I can't really. I don't know. If you have any downtime, which I imagine you don't, because I know you have weekend gigs and you have club gigs and then you go on tour, and I want to get to some of the artists that you've worked with, because I know that's it's like a, it's like a, I saw this video mm. with Floyd Mayweather. Okay. And he's like, just, he's basically talking about how rich he is, how much he loves money <laughs> and usual. how successful, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, he, and on the screen, there's a list of all the opponents he's beaten. <laughs> and it's well, and he, I think he's forty-four. No, so there's forty-four guys, but it's a big list. Yeah. So I think that your list of the artists, the urban artists that you've worked with, has got to be at least a- as deep as the amount of people that Floyd Mayweather has beaten in his career. I do want to get to that. So, but when you have any downtime and you're either on your phone or your computer, your laptop, what's like, what's the what's the app or what's the thing that consumes your time? Like when you're just like, oh, I've 10 minutes to kill 15 minutes to kill here and there what do you go on it's gotta be instagram and twitter i'm just like what but which, which one though which which one more often you I, think? Th- I think more instagram now because because of the pictures i like to go and see what um i like to go on the random thing where yeah, you press it and, and you yeah, yeah yeah that one where you see people that you don't even know yeah and sometimes i get inspired with when whether it's fashion music or like what random funny things things other people are doing and so i like to kind of entertain myself see i'm 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 more twitter than instagram instagram i i uh i'm not sure why i i do spend a little bit of time on it but i always i'm always looking for information to feed my brain but it's 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 interesting that you say instagram because you're like an artist like you're you're one of the and and for people who aren't who don't who aren't as familiar with baby you're like one of the first djs where i can remember like like fashion or your style was like 
I mean, your talent always was first, but your style was like a close second. Like you were, you would be doing photo shoots, and you'd always have like <laughs> you, you just have a very distinct style, right. and and people started to know your face. Where a lot of DJs, you don't, you know their name. Right. I, I couldn't pick Avicii out of a friggin' lineup. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I know what Grand Theft looks like. In Canada, you might have heard of starting from scratch, but yeah. you may not necessarily know what he looks like. Right. But right. you're one of the first DJs where your style and your your image was, and you have a cool logo. You're, you have, <laughs> with the hair and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, I remember distinctly this girl. <laughs> And it, maybe it always comes back to girls, but this girl was talking about how good looking you were. This girl that I knew, <laughs> and she's from Calgary, and she's like, "Baby, you's coming? To are you gonna be?" I'm like, "No, I'm not. No, I'm not going all the way to Calgary just to see the dude. I can see him here." But I remember how I felt. I'm like, "Oh, this dude is like uh, just women, funny. just like soaking this dude up." I don't know. Branding is something that uh, I guess I had a good management team, so you know, I made sure that everything's on point. Fashion is something that I always loved, like ever since I was I think in grade school like I was always conscious of what to wear I remember it was seventh and eighth grade like who like cares about what you wear but we just me and my group of friends were like into fashion and just love it's just clothing like we're in tune with you know so I guess that kind of I grew up with it but yeah I, I feel guess. like back then like it was even more magnified in grade seven and eight because your world <laughs> is so much smaller it's oh, yeah, just your sure. school yeah and it's just like you know the 60 or 80 or 100 kids in your grade <laughs> so right. like so the, so those 100 impressions are like mean so right. much more to you than you just walking down a random yeah. random street in atlanta or new york or los angeles or here in toronto but you know what's funny um it's funny that you mentioned this sometimes um the patrons don't even know what the dj looks like because you know they're in tune the radio all the time they don't go out clubbing or whatever but right when i work um when I first got on the radio V103, they didn't they thought I was African American. Really? And there's still probably a handful of people that still <laughs> think that I am. For the people who don't who don't know, t t please tell where, where are your parents from? My my parents are originally from Miyazaki, Japan, southern part of Japan, and I was born in Toronto. You know, they came like, you know, uh I don't know, 38 years ago, 40 right. years ago, whatever. So, um that's yeah, so, so funny that so they trip people... out. So they trip out. And I remember when I first went on tour with Young Jeezy, we did the whole House of Blues and Live Nation thing going across uh, the U.S. It's like, oh, the Twitter feed is was hilarious. Like, oh my God, Jeezy God's an Asian DJ. <laughs> and then it's like some people are just like question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> but people, I guess, were loving it at the same time because it's so different, for, especially for him too, because you don't expect that. Right. You know, and Jeezy now more so than ever, he's kind of taken, like, he will o always represent the hood. Like, that's where he's from, and that's, you know, his music's that. But his next album is different. Like, so he's kind of trying to grow out, not leave it, but grow out and venture new things as well. So I think I'm a plus to that because, you know, it's like, it's different, you know? When you are, when you first went on tour with Jeezy and you were. And over the past, what, how many, how many years have you worked with him? Four, three years? Four years? Um, actually, no, it's still only like a year and a half. It feels so like it's so much longer. Well, I've been doing his parties and stuff like ever since okay. I got to Atlanta, so maybe because of that. But In very tangible ways, you're like, in uh, if you look in a showbiz terms, like a script doctor. Mm -hmm. Like this guy named William Goldman is right, like was right. a famous script doctor, and he, um, he has been said to like, do a full rewrite of the movie Goodwill Hunting with Matt Damon mm -hmm. and Ben Affleck. Mm -hmm. He's he's denied it on on a podcast, but that was like the rumor for a long time. So for you, you're like a show doctor because right. you've been 
and I want to get to the the big story t- towards the end to okay. leave the, the Kanye story. Okay. Um, but you you artists come to you because they want they need help to uh, change their to make the to improve their show right. the flow of the show yeah. the 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 overall. Uh, the progression, the programming, the show in a way. Yeah. So, so how do you like? What are some of the things that you did from like the first few weeks or months working with Jeezy? You, like, what are the things that you you put in place at then? And then, you know, what are the things that you're doing now? Like, how did the show change? What's the arc? Oh man, where do I start? I wish we were able to start with the Kanye part because everything kind of goes hand in hand. But okay, wait, okay. Well, the Kanye is like that's the big story. I okay, wanna... okay, we'll leave that at the okay. end. But okay, so you know, like I said, as a uh, as a club DJ, programming is important. So I think that's something that uh, most club DJs are strong at, and that's what I'm. I think strong at and understand programming. What song comes after what and. I think that builds the mood, especially for any nightclub and even for a concert. So I kind of use that mentality and also the Kanye thing in my head. And I'll explain that later when we talk about it. Um, and um, I remember the first day when I performed with him, I had no idea what we're doing. We're talking y- about... Young Jeezy or Kanye? Uh, uh, young Jeezy. Young Jeezy. Okay, okay yeah. so Young Jeezy... Um, the whole thing happened in within two days. <laughs> oh my God, this is amazing. And I was gone for four months. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, <laughs> And I remember the first show was in Charlotte, but it wasn't like a real show. It was a club show. It was like an after party of like this tournament that they have out there. So it wasn't as serious. So um, I was on a flight at 10 p.m. I got in at around midnight and got to the bus around min- uh, 1231. I mean, we're talking one o'clock already. Like people are waiting for him, right? <laughs> oh, I- wait, Gigi hasn't... Is he, he is, he, is he performing or is he just making an appearance? He's performing. Perform. Okay, right. So it's one o'clock. Okay, yeah. One a.m. Mind you, I've never. I don't know all his music, like his B-side records and stuff. Right. I know his main tracks, but I don't know his album tracks, what works and what not. So I get there to a bus. I'm like, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't even have all your music. <laughs> right and he has an instant replay machine that's a machine where you know it's like a sampler where it keeps all your uh, music and uh, instrumentals and whatnot and um, uh, I was in the bus with him trying to figure out how we gonna do this and first we had to figure out where all the songs were and which number it was saved on Oh, like on his on his, on his instant replay. Okay. So there's buttons like one, two, three, four, five, all the way to so forty. So wh- what what does an instant replay look like? It's, what does that machine look like? It's a big machine, the size of a. It's uh, like a console. Yeah, it's a console, like maybe the size of a big seventeen-inch Mac laptop, but okay. bigger, like thicker, like higher, right? Okay. And it has a bunch of buttons and and there's presets of all these samples and um. Now, because the old DJ was using it, he knows where what song is where, which button. But I don't know anything. So we had to go through each button. There's like, I don't know, 30 to 40. Oh my but there's gosh. there's like 10 banks of those 40. Oh my gosh. So it's like 400 songs. 
mixtape songs, samples. Oh my gosh. And we're going through, this is 1 o'clock, 1.30 already. We're going through each one, writing it down so we know which uh, song to play. We're going through it. It's like 2 o'clock now, 2 something. Oh my gosh. And and we finally come up with something that we're going to play. And he's just following what he already knows, like how he's been performing, I guess, for the past whatever. Yeah. And um and then we kind of got through that show, it wasn't as bad. It was we still got through it and we had fun with it. But um the main so wait the people stayed like people two o'clock in the morning. Like they must oh, have been pissed. Oh, it was like three something by now. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, yeah. But people stayed, but the energy wasn't there. People were way too tired. They were probably because it's one of those weekends, like. Um, people were probably there from like eight nine o'clock. Oh man! So um, yeah. So that night was all good, and then two days after, the tour started, like the main tour. We're doing like stadiums and uh, like House of Blues venues and stuff like that. And I remember, um, I think the the first show or the second show was in New York, and New York is like Rolling Stones coming out, all the critics coming, out, all the haters coming out, all the lovers coming out. Right. And so it, like you have to bring your A plus like in New A York. plus like yeah. you have to make sure you're ready. And I remember we sat there in the hotel and because of what I went through with Kanye prior, I was prepared. Okay. And so I came with like like a blueprint of different ways you can go. And I'm like and I told them why we should do it like this so before it seemed like his concert was like kind of going anywhere like just songs put in anywhere he wanted it seems scattered it didn't, scattered. It, it didn't it didn't have any direction exactly so i came in and said hey we need to tell them a story and kind of go like that or maybe go chronologically and like give it to him like that and so when we gave it like that it made more sense the the way the music flowed um the things that he said in between and um, segueing to the next song and whatnot, we made sure everything made sense and flowed properly. And so when, and then at the same time too, uh, we even uh, did some remixes, live remixes while he's performing, with like uh, using like the hottest beat that was uh, at that. Moment. I love that. And at I the, love that. And at that moment, uh, Paris by Jay Z and Kanye was one of the biggest songs. So we used one of the beats over his one of his other songs, and people lose their mind. Of course. And yeah. and he's rapping over it, and then you know. So uh, when we put that all together, uh, and and you, and you still you were still not like how familiar were you with his catalog at this point? Oh, at this point. I stayed up all night just to just to learn to listen to, to it and learn everything, it. just to go to school pretty much. Right, because there was a You're lot like cramming. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of stuff that I didn't understand, like like the mixtape stuff, especially that was a hard part because it was like I never heard of most of the stuff through there. So um, when we when I put it together like that and gave it to him, like he was like ecstatic, like he was going nuts. So you came, so you came with a plan. You're like, okay, these are these are three or four ways that we can yeah. do it and then they decided on yeah. one particular way yeah and 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 then at the end of the day i put it to him like this like when you write an essay it's like you got the strong point at the beginning you got the chunk in the middle and then you kill him at the end just like a relay race you got the fastest guy one of the fastest guys at the front you got the fillers in the middle and you got the fastest runner at the end and that's right. how we're going to do this concert we're going to kill him at the beginning with three four songs that he hits uh, give them a story in the middle and at the end we're going to hit them off with the biggest hits and then they're going to walk off like that. it was the best show ever. Nice. And I kind of 
gave that analogy to him and he understood it and when we did that New York show like Kevin Lyles all his like agents and managers were there and at the end of the show they looked at me like yo yo <laughs> and I, I'm like I'm looking that, at that right seat. there is a huge I'm problem like, it's like yo when, <laughs> yeah. when a dude can't articulate himself he just gives you that look like yo <laughs> yeah. man yeah. you like uh, yeah, like it, that uh, the, like the face like Robert De Niro and analyze this you <laughs> You. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I, I was happy that I was able to, co- like, contribute, like, you know, like that. And um, it was just, like, it was a good feeling. It was just, it was just, that's that's the feeling when, and, like, you when he asked me, he's like, it was a good night. It was a good night. <laughs> so now have you, now, uh, thematically, uh, you guys have, like, a theme and you guys have, like, a storyline that you tell the audience th- through his performance. But have you added like the bells and whistles like is there have you guys put in screens now and like photos like like hove hove or or jay-z in his he's got like imagery while he performs and stuff and i remember a while back he you know he had a couple clips from biggie that he would interact with a little bit but is young jeezy at that point now where you're adding the video element to his show yeah um or will will it be in the the right um the last uh, one of his last summer shows that he's done uh, was in a, a Detroit, and um, that we got pyrotechnic stuff oh, and cool. like huge Jeezy like plastic uh, light up bold like bold letters that huge like bigger than us and it's just behind us Jeezy nice l- that lights up and glows with all the light effects so um, it's evolved a lot. And um, I think for this one, um, when his actually when his album comes out, his singles and whatnot, and his next tour comes out, I think we're gonna do all that. And that's what something that we've been telling him about. And those are the things that we need to grow, like evolve into. All the things that Jay Z and the Kanyes are doing with all the videos and whatnot. That that makes a huge difference when it comes to concerts. Before we get to the Kanye story, tell the audience some of the some of the artists that you've worked with, whether. It's um, being their show, their tour DJ, or, or or DJing for a show, or been in a in a booth with like making music. Oh man, I mean, I, I know you've been on tour a lot, or for, you've done a <laughs> lot of shows. You've done thousands of shows. I remember. Um, and then tell me how good looking Ciara is in real life, because I was creeping <laughs> creeping on your website and I saw the picture with you and Ciara, oh, and I, and I was on your, your photo gallery. Yeah. You never wear the same clothes. You have like <laughs> eight eighty pictures. <laughs> And freaking different outfits every single time. Oh, man. Sorry, but the people that you've worked with. <laughs> uh, looking back on my Canadian run, I mean, the whole Dipset thing, 112, Black Eyed Peas, uh, Sean Paul, Snoop, The Game. Um, I remember when Rihanna first came out, her, Kanye, Jay-Z did a party with them. Was that the one at the, in the parking lot? Over they, it was like over here. Yeah, you remember that. And then, I, dude, I was I I was trying to tape it on my well tape recorded on my <laughs> cell phone, and it was it was only like twelve fifty minutes, but it was amazing. Yeah, and then they came to the government after, and that's where our DJ does my uh, residency for right. the past ten years. Okay, and then they stayed in the small room, the drink, in the 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 orange one. It was, no, oh, no, upstairs, the one upstairs. upstairs. Yeah, 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 yeah. And originally it was a soca room, so it was nothing but soca in there, and then. Uh, my management Neil, like he came, and he's like, "Yo, you gotta get in there." Jay Z, like Rihanna, Kanye's in there. You need to put the go right now. And yeah. I'm like, T- 
taking my time. Like, yo, hold on. Let me just... And like, no, now. Like, I have to pack all my... There's this still records. Like, there's no laptop yet. There's, right. like, records. And so... Because we're talking, like, 06. Yes. 05 or 06. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. And we packed up our stuff and went in there. And it, that was one of my most memorable nights. Like, it was... We put on a Rockefeller concert in there. Like, it was crazy. Like, anything this, Rockefeller we played. And this room, like, the, the to, to give you guys an idea of the space, okay, the government is, like probably the the oldest or the longest running club in Toronto it's like a, a famous club and they do a lot of raves and stuff now but back in the day it was like it was a staple of a weekend for like urban crowds and the drink is probably probably the size of a no I was gonna say a bat maybe like half of a basketball court yeah it's, it's not that no it's not that big oh well, where the no the the whole club is massive. Yeah, the whole club. But is I'm massive. saying the room oh, that yeah, yeah, you're yeah, spinning yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Is maybe half of a of a basketball yeah, court. Yeah. It's not that big. Yeah, yeah. But like thinner. But anyway, so you you put on a, a Rockefeller Rockefeller set, and so that was that was amazing. And so that that experience with you know DJing for all three of those people at the same time that was crazy. Um, other than that. I've done mixtapes with um, Christina Milian. Oh my, she's beautiful in real life. Yeah, like that was like that was like Nick Cannon's team yeah. for a while. Like he yeah. got it early. <laughs> yeah, so that was dope. And then of course Sierra, oh my your goodness. girl right there. Um, I fell in love with Sierra. I got to I got to I've only met, met her one time in my whole life. It was in Las Vegas NBA All Star Weekend, and she was on the red carpet going into a a, a, a Jordan party, and then I made her laugh once, and I felt like honestly I felt like. <laughs> I felt like I was worth a billion dollars because I made her laugh. It was it was amazing. Like she's, I always remember that. She's so genuinely nice. Like she's a nice person though. That's and that's what I like about certain artists. Like if you're just genuinely humble and just nice, like she's which, one which of them. okay. So I, I, in the, give me a percentage of artists you that you that you've experienced. You can say I know it's hard to make generalizations. Like thirty percent of artists are generally really nice people, or is it sixty five percent? Right. What, what what is it in your experience? Or generally, is everybody pretty pretty nice? Because I'm in the industry and I'm I'm a DJ and they know that everybody's nice. I think to me, but right. but I I see them in the public as well, and they're different when they're in public. When uh, fans come up to them and stuff like they kind of turn a little colder. Yeah, they have kind of the cold shoulders sometimes. And I get it though because you know something it's just too much sometimes, man. And they get used to a certain way. Yeah. But they're still like nice to their fans and whatnot. They'll take pictures or whatever. But you could feel like a cold aura around them sometimes because it's like they're in the public now, whether it's image or whether they're just kind of shelling themselves off in the public or whatnot. When you're doing a mixtape for something, you just mentioned Christina Milian. Are you like actually in a room like like? programming the the way the like the songs or are you um do you get the songs and then you get the order and then you just add elements to it to to to, to beef it up a little bit yeah so i'm 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 usually with them well i think i was all the time with them and then um i have a i have an idea of where all the songs are going to go and i kind of get them to introduce certain songs or talk about whatever and then they, they do the intro and outro and then i've piece it together in production after ah, got yeah. it. okay so but yeah i've done even uh stuff with sierra luda uh jermaine dupree in canada before i even moved and um and that's the that's another thing why i moved to not only just to dj out there and for my production but i wanted to get out there because i was kind of getting frustrated with um 
I was working with all these people in Canada, but they won't come back for two, three years or whatever. And they won't, most times, they won't remember who I am. And that was frustrating to me because, you know, I just, I work with you. I did stuff with you and you don't remember. But I get it. These guys are A-listers, some of them, you know, and they meet like billions of people. So I'm like, I need to get to a place where they hear me and see me every day. All the time, yeah, yeah, And yeah. When, when I moved to Atlanta, like it was crazy because people knew about me and I haven't met them. Like Andre 3000. He's like, yo, I listen to your show like all the time. Man. Are you kidding? Like he came up to me at Long A. McQuay's, which is like a guitar a guitar center. store. Yeah. yeah. Like guitar, actually guitar center in Atlanta, which is like a Long A. McQuay's here. Um, I, saw, I saw him. He's like, and I, and I shook his hand, whatever. And I walked out. But the guy uh, he was talking to, one of the guys that worked there, he's like, oh, you know who he was? He, that, that's baby you. He's like, and then I came in laughing. He's like, oh, man. I'm sorry, man. I didn't know how you look like, but I listened to your radio show and like with Tigger and like Ryan Cameron. I'm like, oh man, that's that's hilarious. amazing. And, how yeah, long ago was that? That was just like um, probably in the springtime. Nice. And so, um, so that Three was three stacks. Yeah. So it's like, like that, and like guys like Jermaine and Kerry Hilson will be texting me like, oh, you're killing on the radio and stuff like that. And that was the main one of the main reasons to get out there to be in these people's faces as much as possible because it's all about building relationships especially, especially with like the production game that I'm getting into and right now I'm in the studio with the brat really oh man oh she's my amazing. god funkified yeah and I haven't heard from the, the brat in a while well were you okay were you you must have been at that or aware of that JD had the 20th anniversary no I was out of town oh you were oh, okay I totally missed it the and so so deaf 20 year anniversary oh my, party I saw the video and especially when Jay-Z came out I was like yeah. goosebumps man it was just like oh I wish I was there that that looked like that was a crazy that so, was a crazy one so okay I want to segue into it this way I was uh I'm a I mentioned, uh, you know, reading Chuck Klosterman and, and Esquire. The first essay that I ever, the, the one that stuck with me with Klosterman was about, he had this uh, story about, um, you know, about monogamy and is monogamy po not possible, but is it uh, practical for humans? Because we're animals. Right, right, It right. was a great essay about uh, uh, Jack and Jane, this, these fictional characters, but they're based on real people. But... So recently I was reading Esquire and Matt Damon was on the cover and Matt Damon is this unbelievable storyteller. He's got impressions of all these people, Russell Crowe, Tom Cruise, DiCaprio, Scorsese, all these, uh, George Clooney, all these people that he's worked with, he's got impressions of them. And the, and the writer of the article said an interesting thing. He said, famous people tell stories about people more famous than they are. And I was <laughs> like, that's really interesting because I tell stories about Kobe Bryant yeah. and my experience with like LeBron James and Aaron Rodgers and whatever I and I just heard a, this Justin Bieber story that you're going to tell you just after this but like so so Matt Damon told a story about Bono and yeah. Paul McCartney that Bono told him he, he told a story about uh, Tom Cruise firing a guy a stuntman because Tom Cruise does all his stunts and the stuntman was like well this is too dangerous Tom so then and then Matt Damon <laughs> impersonated Tom Cruise like you know what I want? You know what I, and I can't do a Tom Cruise impression, but you know what I did then, Matt? He's like, what? I fired him, Matt. So he has this Tom Cruise one. And then, and then he closes with this George Clooney and Russell Crowe story. Um, but okay, so, so and, and this is all a segue to get to this Kanye one, because I heard, I heard a little bit from Neil. Shout out to Neil Forster. Great dude, great promoter. Yeah. He's, he's, he's firmly rooted in the MMA world. He connected me with Phil Davis, who I had on this podcast once, so thank you again, uh, Neil. But so J Bieber was, was here. Uh, have you worked with Justin Bieber? 
I I know his camp, but I never like directly worked with him yet. Um, so he was here in Toronto on like Friday, and he was at this club called Everly, uh, which is actually really it's a very fun spot on uh, on King Street West. And some guy tried to jump or like jump him or something in the club, and then obviously he got his his ass kicked. But later, Beater had an after party, and I know a girl who went to the after party. And so they're at the Trump Hotel and, you know, they're just, you know, partying. And, you know, she's like, it sucks that they they made us they they made us uh, give them give them our phones because I wanted to take a picture with them. I'm like, well, in that situation, you can't ever ask for a photo because you have to act like you've been there before. (laughs) You have to just enjoy the moment. Uh And the interesting thing that she said was that um, Bieber during this after party at the Trump Hotel was playing only his own music while they were just hanging out until the sun came up. Oh. And, and it's funny because Aziz Ansari has this great joke in his one of his stand-up shows about Kanye going to Kanye West's house and he <laughs> walks in and Kanye's playing his own music. And Aziz's like, yo, Kanye, why are you playing, why are you playing your own stuff? He goes, it's dope, right? So oh, that my. was my long introduction to, uh, to now I, I want to hear this story about the 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 genius and and the process of working with Kanye West. To, to tell the audience about how you how you got to meet him and then what it was like working with him. Okay, oh, but it's funny that you did tell me that story with Kanye playing his own music because when we went up to his hotel room one time, hanging out like Cardinal was there, like a bunch of group of people were there, and we're just hanging out in his hotel room, and. He was banging his, own, his music. own music and he's just feeling it. He was feeling it. Like he was like, Yeah. I was like, I'm like, and all I could do is, yeah, too. And it's like everyone else is, yeah. <laughs> but it's just funny that someone called him out on that. Yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. Though, but, Aziz has a great bit about it. Yeah. But um Neil was actually the first ones to bring out Kanye to Canada. So we were able to do his shows out here and um i remember i opened up for his shows and so that's was that the one at the government or at the, the docks i don't know if it was the docks i don't remember oh man I don't remember that, that, that was the first was. time i saw him he, he has own show at the docks it was him john legend remember the oh the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah yeah that the one violent, yeah, exactly uh, Mi- ben, miri ben ari or whatever yeah, her yeah. name was <laughs> yeah uh, she was part of the whole circle oh she did she did we gonna make it on her violin and the place went crazy she's doing biggie on her violin anyway sorry yeah so neil would bring out kanye west to shows here in toronto and that led me to um get that whole mixtape situation with him and that was a good time and then um after i moved to atlanta so wait for that one for that mixtape with yeah. kanye we're talking like oh six or oh seven maybe yeah. probably like oh oh five or oh six maybe even maybe even oh four i think his first record was like oh four oh three or oh four was... through the wire was the only song that just came out and that was it still so it was still new i think because he did h to the izzo and he did, uh, he produced it, and that was, I think, 2001. So, yeah, it's probably like 2003 is when he started putting out been. his own stuff. Yeah, it must have been around there. So, um, well, okay, sorry, but for that mixtape, were, were you in the studio with him, or did you get a collection of songs and you sort of put it together and had him uh, record some vocals for it? Yeah, I actually had a collection of songs, unreleased songs, like we're talking right after his accident, so he sounded different. So I had a bunch of those songs and put it together in a sense, and then even used uh, Samp, like his production stuff, because he did a lot like Izzo and all that Lucifer and whatnot. Right. Like I took that and 
played it on his took samples of it reconstructed it and whatever made it into a mixtape so um that was that mixtape and it's still actually online i think is it actually it's on my podcast baby sick i'm gonna download um, it. and yeah and then when i moved to atlanta this was years after and he still has the same management so they remember me as well um the wash of throne tour started in atlanta the first two shows started in atlanta I was out. You don't understand how excited I am for the story. <laughs> um, actually, I was out of town. I had to do a gig in like Vancouver or something, so I had to pre-record my radio shows. And we knew that you know Jay and Kanye is coming, so uh, I put together a mix show where it was a mashup between Kanye and Jay only, going back and forth, vocals on each other's instrumentals Sick. to using samples they sampled and put it all together, and that. That's online too because it was something that was requested a lot, and that uh, got their attention. And they hit me up. It, it was a morning show actually. Frank Ski's. It was still Frank Ski in the morning. It was a different guy, and um, he called me. He's like, "Yo, where are you right now?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "What do you mean? I'm in Vancouver. I'm far away. I'm like five, six hours away of flight." And and he's like, "Okay, Kanye wants to see you right now," and I'm like. Oh, okay, well, I'm not there, so um, I'm. This is how I'm talking. I'm just like, <laughs> oh yeah, and this is it, that's me. That's always been me. Neil will tell you, like, even the Jazzy Jeff 40th birthday. He's like, oh my god, I can't believe I can. He asked you to DJ his birthday. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. Uh, when are we going? <laughs> he's like, what? That's all you. That's all. That's all you have. That's all, that's all you gotta say. But anyways, um, so when he came up and said, uh, Kanye was I'm like, okay, well, um, I guess when you get back, I don't know, like. I'm gone. And and then he's like, okay, I'll call you back. And then, um, you know, um, they're just like, okay, we're going to, they decided to fly me out. The third show was in Greensboro, North Carolina, and they flew me out there to meet with him. And it was like a reunion because I haven't seen them in a long time. I don't know if Kanye really remember me, but he was like, oh, you know, because I haven't, you know, it was like a long time ago. And um, so the, the watch, this is, this is now uh, 2012, the watch the tone. Watch, excuse me. Watch the Throne tour, or is it 2011? It was. Uh, it might be 2011. No, wasn't it last year? 11, 12. I think it was like because I missed. Covering. I missed the show in Toronto because I was at the Grey Cup in Vancouver in November of 2011. Oh no, no, yes, because the Grey Cup was here last year in 2012. So this is so like yeah, 2011, 2012 okay. was the time. Sorry, keep going. And actually, this story leads to an even bigger one with what you're expecting right now. Sick. Okay, so. Um, so what he, so he heard the radio show in the morning and he just loved the way I put everything together. Like all that mashup stuff is not new to him. Like he knows DJs and how they DJ. So it was like nothing new to him, but he just liked the way I put things together. And so he wanted to talk to me how to make his tour, his concerts better, like by adding certain things and whatnot. So he wanted to talk to me. So he flew me down Greensboro and we were talking for like two, three hours. Just hanging out. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, you get okay, you get to Greensboro. Okay, <laughs> you land at what time? I landed um, probably like mid afternoon. And then four. where do you go meet Kanye West? Like we went straight to the uh, the Coliseum. Okay, like so right to the, the arena. venue. Yeah, and he was there at his in his room, and we just. So who else is in the room? It was just me and him. Just you and Kanye. Yeah, so and his buddies there. were walking in and out, but it was just me and him. So like, where's Jay Z at this point? And, uh, ha and had you did. You you had you met Jay Z before? 
I never directly. He was standing beside me right before he was about to perform, but it was at a point I didn't want to bother him because you know you're about to perform. I don't know how certain artists work, so you know I'm not gonna go. Hey, I'm baby. I'm, I'm like I'm good. I'll probably see you later. I'll meet you one day. Like yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Better time. Like and then uh, so, um, so yeah. When when I got there, we just sat down and just talked about what we can do. Uh, to make you know so what okay but what is that conversation like like so he's like so they're at this is like show number three of watch the throne these guys are performing for an hour and a half together yeah um so and then and so like what how does kanye talk like how like you know does he have wild ideas is he big on like theme like this is what i'm feeling is he a big emotional guy or is he like technically like okay uh you know from songs five to eight these are the songs we want to kind of have this kind of a feel and right. this is what's going on in the in the like what 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 because he because he's calling on you to help to improve you're the freaking <laughs> show doctor okay and, and so he he's, so what is this what is he saying to you so now this is what i learned from from this whole kanye situation what i implemented into the whole jeezy thing and this is what it was um these guys these artists and when you're at this level they don't want to talk they want to listen to what you have to say and what you have to give them so when i met kanye he's like so i, I kind of do this and this and this and uh what do you think about that and i'm like mm, that's cool and i'll give my input and then and then i'll be yeah, like but okay wait baby what are those this and this and this and then you give your input what are those like things? just random things like i have this song right here and, and i say i don't remember exactly but i say this to get into this next song and and do you think uh what should the next song be should i stay with jay or like whatever like so it was just random s stuff like that and now, then, ha had you seen the concert yet like do and you that's the thing though like i haven't seen it or heard, i don't even know the playlist so it was hard for me to really give him the best uh you know like the advice because i was like i i never even seen i need to see the show first and it was because it was so new like nobody had reels on it or anything like that so it was really tough so um so going back to my story is like what i learned with these guys is that they want everything given to them and they want to choose a b c or d just like you're trying to sell them something right they don't want to they just want to see the f end product on which direction they could go and they want to pick it and that's it and that's what i learned and brought it to jeezy and that's why it works so perfect like it, he was like in another world so with kanye i didn't really have that because i had ideas but i didn't have that ready in a sense which kind of sucked because you know i wish i had different ideas but at the end of the day though i'm i'm, I'm going in and i'm like I don't even know how, if he wants to even listen to it. this Kanye. We're talking about Kanye. Like, how much? What do you want to know? Like, <laughs> the show is already good. You already know that. So, what do you want to change? Like, at the end of the day, like we. So, we're bouncing back ideas, and he loved lo some of the stuff that I was giving him. Like what? Like some wardrobe changes and stuff. Like, why don't you guys wear like old school stuff when you do old school? Like, like your, you know, like the old tracks that you first started out. Like, why don't, why doesn't Jay come out on his in his like you know Timberlands and and like baggy jeans and like his jersey stuff like that like get, like we're just given random ideas to change it up and and even because it was halloween too um it was oh yeah it was during halloween so um we're like um for, for one of his songs why don't we use vincent price's voice to kind of segue into that next song and stuff oh for monster because it's kind of like scary so yeah and so, vincent price is the famous voice on the thriller yeah um, michael jackson's thriller yeah so stuff like that i was given an idea and he loved it and what um i don't think i don't know if we used it because it was funny because i think the the engineer was hating on me 
who who was in the room at the same time? What the, he came after, like be, it wasn't hating on me because I was given ideas or whatever. He was hating on me because it was more work to change anything <laughs> on the logic thing, and I and I felt it, and I was just like, you know, it's cool, like whatever, like so. So those are the things that was happening, and it was funny, like talking to him face to face, and like we're both industry people, so. Like, you don't feel it. Like, it was just a normal conversation. Like, it was cool. Like, he was just a normal dude. Like, you know, now it's like he doesn't smile or anything in public and stuff like that. Like, the weird stuff that he does. Like, it was never like that. We're just laughing, busting jokes and whatever. And so... So, did you feel, like, did you feel uh, anxious? Like, on that plane from Vancouver to... to uh, 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 where, where, Char- where Charleston? Uh, um, uh, uh, no, Greensboro. Greensboro, Green, North, North Carolina. So, you know, what what were your expectations and what was your, like, level of anticipation? I wasn't expecting anything. That's And just like how I answered uh, Frank Ski on, on the phone, I'm just like, okay, cool. So I was I was excited, but not, like, nervous or overly excited. I'm like, well, you know, I've done a mixtape with him already. I already know his It was nothing new to me, so I was just going in to just talk to him and see how it goes. Like, who knows? Like, Did you know why he wanted to see you? Or they wanted no, to they, see they you? didn't really make it clear at the end of the day. They just wanted to see me. Like I did, I was more excited if they were wanted me if he wanted me to be his DJ. Because I wasn't DJ's DJ yet at that time. So you were or you were not? I wasn't. You were I not. wasn't yet. And it was probably like six months after that. or five months after that I became Jeezy's DJ. So So, so I, I had no expectations. I was just like going in. So you're sitting you sit with Kanye for two or three hours yeah. before the show. Yeah. And he's asking you for ideas and input how to make his performance and how to make the show better work on segues, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. So you're giving you're giving these ideas blind, having not seen the show. And then and then what happens? And then um, they do the show, everything's great. I got to see everything and I'm I understand it better now. Where did you sit for the show? In the VIP area. Okay. Like beside Beyonce and all that. <sighs> That's amazing. Like it was crazy. Yeah, it was funny. Like who else, so who was there? Like who like Beyonce Beyonce was there and no other celebrities other than Beyonce was there. Like other than like in that area, like all their friends are there, but just like a celebrity wise, it wasn't because it's Greensboro. I don't know if anybody was out there. So right. Um, and then after the show, I was able to kind of process it and give him more ideas on how it was and whatever. So we kept in touch a little bit after. So wait, 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 Kate, But just tell me about the night. So after, so you should watch the show, and then the the show ends, and then so like you're in this VIP area, and then. Where do you, do you do you leave? Do you hang around? Is there like what what happens directly after, immediately after the show? Well, we we hung around for a bit, but the thing is, they have a show the next day, and they took a private plane right after, like pretty much like an hour after the show, and they just flew off. But um, uh, we talked after the show and whatnot, and what was good and what it could what could have been, you know. What ideas did you give him? What notes I, did you give him? Honestly, I don't remember. Man. What do you mean you don't remember? I don't remember, man. <laughs> I I really don't. I really don't. But in, in, in subsequent conversations, do you remember some of the things that you guys discussed? I think I remember all the good points. of. There's certain things that he was saying that was very witty that segued into the next song. And those are the things that I liked about his stuff. And But looking at the whole entire show, it was kind of going... One of the things I guess I did mention was that the track listing was all over the place in a sense. Like it wasn't really making those old to new Jay-Z stuff and Kanye stuff all mismatched everywhere. And I guess for him it worked a little bit, but I think I would have cleaned it up a little bit. And that's one of the things I think I mentioned to him. 
uh, back then. Now the whole idea for Watch the Throne in this two or three hour conversation, did he give you like, did he tell you conceptually about the album and what they wanted to do in the tour? Like, like I know they recorded it in like Australia and they recorded some of it in, in England. Just yeah. like at these random places. I remember seeing that one video where Russell Crowe was randomly at the studio and then Kanye's playing that one part of that song. I can't remember the name of the song, but he's like, um, uh, so basically Russell ain't they were only Russell. Russell Brand, Russell Crowe, seven zeros and a whole lot of O's or something like that. Right. But, but okay, so but did he did he give you his impression or his idea thematically of what Watch the Throne was? I actually had to Google what Watch the Throne really meant. I don't exactly like beforehand or afterwards? yeah before before because you know I I didn't really you know every album has its own identity and and story behind it and sometimes it just doesn't make sense like you know so I'm just thinking like two kings together trying to make this album work but it was deeper than that There's, if you Google it I just I, don't I haven't exactly. I've never Googled it but so I, I'm just curious if if Kanye articulated that to you yeah well um. Not really, like he didn't okay. really get into it too much, but I kind of had to put it together. So that's why I was trying to keep that in mind and trying to see what kind of tour he's doing. So, um, did you ever speak to Jay Z during this time? No, but this is the best part. This is the best part. So, after all this happens, um, a week later, I was in New York. Um, or maybe a couple weeks later, I was in New York. I was invited by Def Jam to go to Frank Ocean's first show, ever performance. Sick. And um, so they uh, they flew me out there, and um, we're hanging out. I went to Def Jam, Def Jam um, the, the, office? the office, and we're hanging out. And um, and meanwhile, the Frank Ocean show got canceled because his he got strep throat or like he lost his voice or something like that. And um, so we're at the office, and Pekas, who's the main dude at Def Jam there and um and I guess one of the guys introducing sick like, oh yeah uh and told him like briefly about the whole Kanye thing what just happened and he's like and then he stops and he looks at me he's like hold on a minute you're the DJ in Atlanta and I'm like yeah I'm like you you do the morning show he's like yeah yeah oh man Jay-Z called me like like that day and going crazy over your mix. Like, he called me just to tell me about your mix. And that's when I was like, okay, I, I, I quit now. <laughs> so that that was the best part of the whole situation for me because, you know, Jay is like... He's know, an icon. He's yeah. the greatest of all time. So to hear that from him is just, you know, I was grateful. That's, I'm just happy. That's unbelievable. <laughs> that is unbelievable. So, so Jay, like... Where can people hear this mix? I know we mentioned it a couple of times. Baby U, B-A-B-Y-Y-U dot Podomatic dot com. Or okay. you could just go straight to my website and it's all, you know. Yeah, the website is DJBabyU.com. Oh, sorry, BabyU.com. 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 Yeah. Last story. You briefly mentioned it, and I don't want this to be a throwaway story, even though your life has had all <laughs> kinds of experiences globally. But you were uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff's. DJ for his 40th birthday party. Yeah. So he hired he hired you to play his own birthday party. Right. And I can imagine a DJ of his stature who's played thousands of parties and events like Questlove, uh, you know, having a legend in the game reach out to you to, to do something for it is be would be pretty amazing. So when you did the gig, how did you do it? Like, 
what was did you have any uh guidelines or and what was like your your set list still to this day i don't even get why he even likes me as a dj like i see i'm like he knows every dj in the world right he's friends with all of them the best ones ever but he (laughs) likes the way I spin or something. He just and 40 is a big know, and 40 is a big birthday. It's a, it's a significant bo- birthday. 25 21, 25, yeah. 30, 40. Yeah. Maybe 30 is not even as big as 25. <laughs> like it it's just big. could just go well maybe th- yeah 30 you become kind of an adult yeah. and then 40. Yeah. Please continue. And and um you know it wasn't just me it was DJ Maceo from De La Soul. He had Terry Hunter, a big house DJ from Chicago, and he had a lot of other handful of DJs that were supposed to come. But that day actually was the biggest snowstorm in Philly. Oh, wow. And every flight was canceled. Oh, wow. And us us being Canadians, we don't care. Yeah, we're, we're dri- used to it. We're driving through this like no problem. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And yeah. so we th- we had like two trucks and we drove out. So From, from Atlanta. From Toronto, because oh, I, th- I haven't moved yet. I was in Toronto still. Oh, okay, okay. And and uh, so like Will Smith was supposed to come. All these people were supposed to come, but because the flights were canceled, you know, not everybody could go. And um, when I, when we got there and we uh, when I DJ the party, I we're the, it wasn't laptop yet. This was when I started Serato. This is when he introduced me to Serato, and um, I still had my records and I brought all my old school stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to have fun. Remix with old school stuff and, you know, play some golden era stuff. But more 80s retro and the 90s R&B. Because that's what I love to do and that's what I'm going to play. And he'll just stand there beside me. And this was even in Atlanta too, like when I spun with him. He'll just stand there and watch me DJ. And I'm just like... Till this day, I don't get it. Like, I don't. Why? Why do you like me? Why? <laughs> why are you fast? Like, he's any. Every time I finish, like, man. I just love like you're you're a great DJ. I just love watching you. I'm That's like, amazing. Get out of here, man. <laughs> I'm like, I don't get it. Why? <laughs> Why? I'm not a scratcher. I'm not. I just love. But I think that's what it is. Like, he's a humble dude. At the end of the day, I don't care how good you are in anything. If you're not humble, like I can't roll with you, and you lose all your 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 credits when when you're not when you don't have a good attitude. And this guy is so humble. He just loves everybody, and he doesn't he doesn't. Sit there like he's the best DJ or anything like that even though we look at him like as like the pioneer and one of the biggest DJs ever. Yeah. But he'll never act like that, and that's why I love about him. And that's that that goes to show like he'll even stand beside me and just watch me DJ, and just understand that he'll watch me because he knows I love it and, and he feels that. That has is that intimidating? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got him just standing there, you know, but. Because he's a friend, I guess I don't feel that pressure anymore or ever. But, yeah, he's, I don't know, man. He's, he's just a good dude. And I appreciate him. Shout out to DJ Jazzy Jeff. Yeah, for sure. Bigger shout out to DJ Baby U. <laughs> Listen, Cabby, I, thank you, I know, I know you're only in town for like, you're, you're in town, like your you're time now is just into hours. Like you're, <laughs> you, I'm, I'm here for 22 hours. I'm here for, you know, like so... <laughs> So your window is very short, so I appreciate you making some time for me. Uh, for those listening, uh, it's babyu.com. And if you want to hit him up on Instagram or Twitter, it's at uh, DJ Babyu is where you can just go on his website and then you can just see the friggin' gallery of all those <laughs> all those artists that you've worked with and that have come to the radio station and you've, uh, you've been interviewed by either was it Ryan Callahan? 
what what's the uh, what's the morning show called? Oh, Ryan Cameron Morning Show. Ryan Cameron or the Big Tigger Show. Yeah. In the afternoon on uh, V103 uh, in Atlanta, man, thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks. Thank. This is this is good. Like this is like the old days, man. <laughs> yes. I appreciate you, man. Except except for like you don't right, you're not feeling my hot breath on like one side of your face me asking you to play jay-z or asking to have one of your mixtapes it's, oh, it's, it's all good it's all love yes sir yes sir and uh so thanks again and and so so i know you are making music more often so i will periodic i already follow you on twitter which you don't really update that much okay uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, i will so who who are you working with or what upcoming projects do you have as we say goodbye um, what, what can we look forward to? So right now, I'm kind of concentrating on making remixes for all these uh, popular songs that are out there already. I'm, I'm finishing up this one with Diamonds with Rihanna. And it's a little bit older, but it's more of a project for me to just kind of practice in a sense. Oh, and wow. get my name out there in the production scene. I just finished one for Bruno Mars, Grenade. But the, that's the beauty of it, like because now that I'm in the U.S. and I and I have these relationships with all the record labels, they're like, oh, I love that remix. I'm going to send it to Bruno. So Sick. those are the things that are happening being in Atlanta now. So um, those are the things I'm doing. I'm kind of just practicing getting all these acapellas. This, this is my style, so why not take these acapellas and make my own with my own production? So that's what I'm doing, releasing on SoundCloud. You could go on soundcloud.com um, uh, slash baby you, and um, you could check it out. And um, not only that, I'm in the studio um, with um, the brat. She's not coming out really as an artist, but she's, she's a writer. Oh, okay. she loves writing R&B tracks too. So we're sitting down at my house and we're just kind of like trying to come up with different ideas. And and she's writing to some of the beats I'm doing. We'll hopefully get it out to other people. And at the same time, all these you know uh, people are waiting for me in a sense, like artists and even like Sick. record labels are waiting for me. So it I'm 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 happy. Like I'm happy. Like people are waiting. That's that's a good thing in a sense. That's a know? great thing, dude. It's again, but it all comes down to your talent. Your talent is undeniable. Appreciate and, you, uh, and you're just gonna grow and explode, and like many Canadians have done in the U.S. So I'm trying. Know, I'm shout, trying. Shout out to you, sir. Thank you. Uh, do not stop, and let's trade lives for a day. <laughs> okay. Thanks for coming in, man. Uh, thanks for having me, man. Thank you for listening to Cabbie Presents, the podcast.